Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Tonari's podcast. This is our first birthday show, and we're supposed to do a live stream, but Timmy's internet wasn't working. I'm Sorry, up. everyone. Yeah, we're up, to, we're up to 90 over us, but look, we'll do this, and um, this is my good friend, Timmy. <laughs> and Rowan is on the decks, as usual. <laughs> and um, we have Sharon Lambert, Dr. Sharon Lambert, in the house. It's important to bring the doctor. Some people are modest about it, but it takes a lot of work to get the doctor. So, Dr. Sean Lambert, how are you keeping? I'm very good and delighted to be back. It's a year since I was here. And yeah. happy birthday to the Two Norries podcast. Thanks for being so patient. You've been waiting for ages for us. Yeah. You know, oh, fucking hell. My head is wrecked from this thing. People look at the podcast and they think, oh, this is great. And all, but they don't realize mm. the amount of work we have to put into it. And when things go wrong, it just takes so much time to troubleshoot it. You know? So, thanks for your patience. Yeah. How are you keeping anyway? I'm very good. I'm delighted to be here um, celebrating your first birthday. I know. And I was thinking about it when I was coming in and I was thinking, I suppose, I know you've, you're you going to have questions and you have questions from some of the patrons. Yeah, patrons, yeah. yeah. Patrons. So, but I was thinking when I was coming in, I was wondering if the two of you had a chance to reflect on the last year mm-hmm. and if you've thought about the impact, the very real impact of what you've done in the last year has made yeah. practically in people's lives. Like I spoke to James a little bit about this before, just even from the episode I did last year, the amount of people who've contacted me who are in trouble. Mm. And mm. it has broken down a lot of stigma. What you've done has broken down a lot of stigma. So there were people who have contacted me who were struggling for a long time. And they said, look, you know, would you know where I could go to get help? But they'd struggled for a long time. Um, so I was wondering that when I was driving in, if you thought about that, about the impact of what you, you've achieved. You've really achieved a yeah. huge amount in a year. We get a little bit of an insight. Uh, we get a lot of messages from people, emails and comments. A lot of it is very personal stuff. Yeah. People bear their souls to me and to me because they feel like they know us, which they do to a certain extent, because we bear our souls on camera for people to relate with us. But um one of the most uh, touching emails we got was that lady that went through Cool Mine, remember? Mm, that was amazing. Cork lady went through Cool Mine in 2000. I won't say the year. She's from Cork. She went through Cool Mine, completed it, was in Dublin afterwards, stayed on. Like many, many Cork people do, build a life for ourselves. Relapsed, ended up back in addiction, heroin, crack, homelessness. Was in the throes of it and stumbled across this podcast, right? Accidentally. And listened to me and Timmy, and she could identify with a lot of what we were talking about. And she picked up the phone, rang her counsellor back, and when she emailed us, she said she was before she before she was on the pod before she seen the podcast, she was homeless, crack heroin, and everything that came with it. And she she emailed us; she was six months sober mm. after picking up the phone after watching me and Timmy. That's yeah. 
the be- probably one of the best things, you know what I mean? It's just so rewarding because this is why we started it, you know? But that happens an awful lot. That really, really happens an awful lot. And another thing is, 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 you know, people that really believed people were bad because they were just bad. And when they sat down and listened to my story and James's story and other people that were on during the, the year and they could really, it changed their whole perception of the human being that was in front of them, you know, because like growing up, I would have been known that scumbag, whatever else I was called, you know. But when I look at my life now, Sharon, and I see why I became the way I did, um, and where I am now, it's there's, it's it's completely different. And what we're doing is we're showing that people can change. Number one, and and people are not born to go away and do the things that they do. Number two, you know, I never wanted to be involved in drugs. Do you think I wanted to be addicted to to drugs and and be inside in cells and? and be in hospitals and feel the loneliness of being on your own consistently. No, not at all. Nobody wants to be inside in Patrick Street living in a doorway. Mm. No one. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people really, really sent me these heartwarming messages. I feel so ashamed. I feel so ashamed because I actually used to think people were just bad. And no, anytime I see... I get emotional now at all. But anytime I see someone... No, on the street, I actually stop. I might give them something, and you're not giving them something to. Yes, they are going away and get drinking drugs, but you're also getting them up off the street for an hour or two hours where they're just yeah. sitting there and they're full of shame, mm. and they don't even know what the feeling is, you know. And 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 when when people were able to open up like that, was yeah. that was massive. There was a fella emailed me there the other day. He was uh he was just about to leave Fellowship House. He was going out yeah. the door like. We say it was on a Saturday, he watched the podcast. He was leaving on the Monday, his mind went up, he watched the podcast and he ended up staying and he saw many mm-hmm. months or years sober, no? you know, a months, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And he said, like, don't underestimate me, he says, you had a big impact because I was gone out that door. Mm-hmm. He says, when I watched it. So we, we knew like that, we were connecting with people and it was helping people. So then we were like, how do we, how do we um, use that for people not in addiction, you know, get people, mm-hmm. somebody having an eating disorder. Get somebody on that's been sexually assaulted. Get somebody on that's, you know, um, suicide, depression, you know, bereavement, because they have good stories and people know are identifying with them and we're able to help people in a wide range of areas, not just addiction and prison, you know? Because mm. I suppose, like, if you think about what I do, I'm an academic and a researcher and I work in a university. So I do research on people's lives and then you know, I hear the stories, the, you know, some of the similar to some, you know, your own stories and guests that have been on. Mm. And, and you say, how can I use this to make change? And it's actually very hard sometimes to make change in an academic way, because the way we write and the way we speak, a lot of, it's not done in a way that everybody can tune into. And I think one of the things about this podcast as well is that sometimes when you're socially excluded, so if you've come from particular areas or, you know, if you've experienced poverty or you're from a particular ethnic minority group, that you can be really on the margins and you don't have that access to education in a way that that other people take for granted sometimes because it's a privilege. And one of the things I think that's really important for growth and change is knowledge 
And sometimes that information is not said in a way that people can understand. And I think one of the things about your podcast is that there's a really good mix. You've had researchers on, you've had people with lived experience, you've had practitioners. Mm. And when you put all that together, what it has done as well is actually people who knew you know, when you said about, you know, yeah. people don't want to be homeless so or people don't want to be in addiction. So there's people sitting out there who have a very negative view of themselves, an internalized negative view where I'm not good enough because I do these bad things. Yeah. So you're taking all of that information and all of the knowledge that's supported by research and lived experience. And then people are sitting at home and they're listening to that and they're saying, like, it's amazing. And I think people... We don't realize the amount of people who haven't made the connection between how they behave and and things that have happened to them. Mm. They just think, well, you know, these things happen, they're bad things, mm. but I'm still a bad person. And I think in terms of the emails and communications I've gotten from people from being on your podcast, it was that. It was, I always thought I was a bad person. Mm. And then from listening to the podcast, realizing actually these things that happened to me limited yeah. my choices or made me make choices that were the right thing for me at the time. Um, but to change now the way I think about myself, and I'm not a bad person, I'm just somebody who does bad things because I had to, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's been really powerful. So that's, that's, that's a great way to put it across. Yeah, well. because like sometimes like there isn't as much, there, there is very limited diversity as well in educational, in, in universities and things like that. So like there's a big divide in how we talk between classes and things like that, you know. So a lot of the times, and I know for, for people from um, marginalized backgrounds, sometimes when they go to universities, their first few weeks, they're like, what am I doing here? I, I, we've talked about this. He's like, I don't understand what they're saying or anything like that. And that's because you haven't had that. Nobody's given you the chance to, to, to learn this way. And I think what you've done is taken all of that stuff and put it into a way that people can understand through the voices of people who've also experienced mm. it. One of the other things I was thinking about then, and I know that this is probably a really hard question to ask. We love hard questions. <laughs> like if you look back on the last year, what, what are the ones that stood out to you the most? That's easy for me. Is it okay? Yeah. Gabo Mata. Okay. Because Dr. Gabo Mata is somebody that um, I read the books, watched the seminars, went to the conferences, and he's got millions of views on YouTube. Everybody in this field knows him. And for him to come on our podcast was really humbling for us because he gets asked, as you can imagine, you'll get asked to do loads of stuff, Sharon. Do you know what I mean? And he's, you know, similar to you, but on another scale. International famous. International. Do you know Nobody what I mean? knows me outside of Cork. What are you talking <laughs> no, about? No, well, no, no, you, 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 you do, you do a lot of great stuff, but you can't do everything. How do you select what to do? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Even on a way smaller scale, I mean, to me, get asked to do a lot of talks, but you can't do everything. Mm. How do you select what? So you can imagine on his scale, what is, will you speak at this international conference? Will you be part of this? But he selected our podcast to mm. come on. Do you know what I mean? And he was such a gent and he was so kind and humble. Mm. It was just a regular guy. And I'd say he does stuff like that to keep him humble, you know, to keep, keep himself level headed. And, um, but I suppose the best part about it was you're aware of him. Timmy's mm. aware of him. I'm aware of him. That's great. Everybody that goes to the conference all read the books. We're not learning anything new with respects to him. We're hearing about his theories around trauma, addiction, chronic disease and all the whole links, you know. So um, the best thing about it is people that never heard of him 
people sitting in prison cells and treatment centres people around here that haven't had the privilege to go through education like us and now they know about them now they understand the concepts and now they're linking it to their own lives and that's the more satisfying thing Mm. like what you said there we kind of made it accessible for everybody because it shouldn't be just like these conferences are expensive Mm. they're about 400 euros to go to the new CC these retreats are about 5 grand it's very inaccessible we made it accessible for people I think and I think, um, I also think he was somebody that jumped outside the box. He's a medical doctor, you know, um, and all of a sudden he's gone into addiction. He was the medical doctor in the downtown east side yeah. in, in, in Toronto, Vancouver. Vancouver. And he starts to get to know people and he looks into them and he does a bit of research on them and he starts to understand that these people have a lot that they, they use and drink and every other form of addiction and trauma, you know, and for him to, and whoever works with him, his colleagues, to go away and have their own explanation of the trauma of addiction, you know, I, it just, when I watched it on YouTube before we even had a chat with him, I looked at it and I was, his explanation, it just resonated, it just sat with me better than anything else that I've heard in AA or NA or anything like that, you know, um, but all these things are vital, no, AA and NA are critical to anybody that's in early recovery, like. definitely, and yeah. we always, always say that myself and James, because without it, I don't know how I would have coped, but he was, he, he just, he just had that kind of aura, do you know, that presence, mm. where, it was just unbelievably, um, like yourself, yeah. unbelievably just easy to understand, breaking it but down. Do you know what I like think? Us. Do you know what I think is the the similarities between you and him is, mm-hmm. like sometimes academics and psychologists uh, can be quite clinical and everything is, you know, your scientific study and stuff like that. Um, but the lived experience of actually working with the people. And that really comes across when you speak about your work because you've worked with, you know, with, with people in those situations and so has he. And when he's talking about the theories, the concept and all that, there's so much compassion in, in him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can see he really, really cares about it. It's not just a topic for research to get accolades, you know? Yeah. I think that there's positives to that. There's also negatives actually as a researcher yeah. because when I do the research, I know the real impact of it's not just you know a half an hour of somebody telling you a story and then they're gone but like yeah. I know what it means in the community I know what it means in somebody's house I know what it means in terms of barriers so I can get very angry mm. uh, I can get very angry when you know I suppose particularly I, I find the homelessness research I get very angry about that because it's like we're constantly producing the same reports that are saying the same things mm. and nothing changes and, you know, in the beginning, I used to think um, it's because, you know, they just don't understand. And if I keep explaining it, they'll understand. And um, I think that they really care, but they just don't understand. And I think the longer and then people would say, oh, you know, it's really important that you get invited to the table, which I, I, I used to sit at lots of tables. And then I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. And then I just got angrier and angrier and I was like I don't want to sit I actually don't want to sit at the table anymore Um, I think something researchers and academics something that we need to think about is when you go out and you collect 
research or you collect, as we say, data, it's people's stories, right? When you go out and you collect that, you have an obligation to those people to do the most that you can do to make change. It's not just about turning it into an academic paper, which is important, Mm. but it has to be more than that. Otherwise, you are mining people. Mm. If you go out and you take people's stories and you only leave it in an academic institution, you have mined people Mm. for their stories and you will benefit professionally, but they will not benefit. So it has to go. And that's why... I think something really important has happened in the last couple of years, and that is podcasts. Mm. Because if you think about it in terms of media, um, you know, I know that you were on the Tommy Tiernan show, but most people from working class backgrounds or people who've experienced homelessness or people who've experienced addiction do not have a voice in mm. any media. Mm. Um, and now what you have because of things like podcasts is that people who who are traditionally voiceless can now actually raise the voice of others. So for me, actually, in the last, looking back on your podcast, one of the things that has happened with COVID is I have small children, so it's very, my house is very busy. It's very hard to listen to podcasts. And most of the stuff I listen to is very dark, so it's not appropriate. Um, uh, So I used to always listen to podcasts on my my drive to work in the morning on my drive home. So I'm not getting to listen to as many. So I I have a big, long queue of podcasts episodes belonging to the two Norris that I want to listen to. But if I think back in the last year, one of the, there's, there's a couple of things that have been really important. And I think um, Catherine Coffey O'Brien, Gillian mm-hmm. uh, Butler and Anne-Marie Quilgan, mm-hmm. um, because the, the most marginalised community mm-hmm. in our society is the travelling community. And the travelling community are a very small percentage of people in Ireland. So most people don't know any travellers. Mm-hmm. Um, they only see or know stuff that they see in the media or they've you know met a a traveler who has behaved in a particular way they don't realize that you meet travelers all the time actually yeah and but they think that all travelers look the same sound the same talk the same um and i think for me that's that's a group uh in the last 12 months that have been given a voice uh here in this space and and mick finnegan yeah. His podcast. Um it was powerful, wasn't it? Was very amazing. powerful. Yeah. Do you know what? He's a fucking character as well. He's funny. He he's he did it with a bit of wit, but it was a very, very like we had to put up a sensitive material mm. on it as well. I, I actually halfway through had to pause it mm-hmm. uh, and take a little break because it was it, it's very heavy. That podcast is very heavy. But it's incredibly important because um one in four people in Ireland experience sexual violence. Mm. That's a lot, one in four. And I think men in particular sometimes have a huge barrier about coming forward. And he, he when he spoke about it, it was really raw. Mm. And I can see why you had to put up that. But I mean, it was the reality. Yeah. And I think that perhaps there will be men who will have listened to that, who it might reduce some of the stigma or shame that they feel. Also, I think... Mick's life, um, the challenges that he had, mental health um, and, and drinking and homelessness as a result of the trauma that he experienced. Like you said, Timmy, when you see somebody who's really struggling, um, for lots of people, they think that they're bad people. Mm. But because you've given voice to that story, 
I think it does change people's minds. And I think when they walk down the street and there's a man in the street, he could be James, he could be Timmy, he could be Mick Finnegan. And you look at people and you say, I wonder what's their story. Mm. So I think for me, there's been, there's been a number of podcasts like that where I look and I say that that will change, like, especially Mick Finnegan's, like, he's probably lucky to be alive. And I wondered when I was finished listening, how many other Mick Finnegan's are there who didn't make it because he will have been in very high risk situations that probably would have been at risk of death. And mm-hmm. you've yeah. <laughs> been on knocking on mm-hmm. death's door yourself. Yeah. Yeah. How many people out there have experienced adversities who didn't make it? So for me, that's it. And then the other one, just because it's a Cork one, it's Don from the Life Centre because mm. he's just an absolute legend and mm. I'm a super fan of Don. Yeah. Um, and if, you, if, if young people who are struggling had, so Don, the, the centre that they run is, without them saying it out loud or anything like that, and, and you know, because, they, you know, not to get into buzzwords, trauma-informed centre, um, they are a trauma-informed centre. And that's why the young people get on so well there. And you can feel it the minute you walk in the door. You can feel it in your bones. Yeah, you place. can feel when you walk in there that the young people who walk in there are loved. Yeah. Um, and I think about all of the children who are excluded from education at the moment and all of the the young people, even if you take the two of you, you know, the fact that, that ye left education and ye both went on as adults then to, mm-hmm. to get third level, quali- ye both have a third level qualification. Yeah. And congratulations because you graduated this year. Yeah, I graduated, yeah. Yeah. Going back to the education thing there, I think is very important as well. I heard a lot of people, you know, um, in recovery and outside of recovery when, when I had, I talked to them about my own journey in education. Jesus, I couldn't do that. You know, no, I don't know. How, how does, like, I was one of those people as well. Mm. But I knew I needed to educate myself for myself to grow, to, to understand um, the way I wanted to go in my life on personal growth and spirituality and all these different things. There was words I needed to understand to bring me on to the next level. Um, and my point is, is here is, Anybody that is listening to this, you know, a lot of us do suffer. I was, I was chatting to somebody earlier and and he was telling me about some situation that's gone on in his life and it was imposter syndrome, mm. you know, not good enough, not able, not smart enough. And I just said, listen, I was the exact same, completely the same. But when I started to do things in, in, in the education, uh, get good grades in my exams, my confidence was saying, do you know what? I'm actually not that dumb all the same. Now, I found out I was dyslexic as well, halfway through the degree. But I didn't leave something like that. It, don't ever leave anything. Stop it. Like, it's just, go for it. And it's not all about the results. It's about the effort and you changing that view on yourself that, right, maybe you do freeze because I freeze. I have that mechanism built into me where I come back across any form of anxiety or stress, I go blank, you know, and I became aware of that as well when I was in St. John's College, but the key is just keep going, mm. keep going, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, the, we all come across. The big motivation for me through education was the fear of a relapse. Mm. I was doing a C scheme with the Simon when I got out, I was living in a house plant with the Simon, and I was like, right, this is not going to sustain me. I this like life has to be better in recovery than yeah. it was in addiction, or else I, 
the drugs were going it's not looking appealing again mm-hmm. and it was like I don't want to work on a building site I don't wanna, fair play to the boys I, do, I didn't want to do it I didn't want to break my bollocks I see the work Timmy to me to be broke up from work like he's and he's much more useful than you are like no. <laughs> all your qualifications he needs, he needs top off there a while ago he's fucking ripped like he's burning about fucking 8,000 calories a day and eating 20 but I wanted I wanted something um, I, I wanted to put in the groundwork in the early recovery so I could have a good comfortable life afterwards and if my life is good I'm not going to relapse that was my thinking is like how do I build a good life like how do I build a good life get a qualification you know mm-hmm. do a degree do an apprenticeship very close mm-hmm. to doing an apprenticeship like but and, up and education degree. isn't for like tr- that traditional academic education isn't for everybody Lots no. of, it's not and it's really important um, that you have people who find their space yeah. um, it would be lovely if we had more apprenticeships yeah. you know really supportive apprenticeships because there are young people who just don't want to go to university and nor should they go there if it's mm. not for them if everybody went to university we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have enough mix of a big people reason to do the why I jobs. went there too was because I met Gillian when I was looking for a bit of direction in my life if Gillian was a plumber I'd be fucking plumbing today as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true uh, horse and Gillian's pipes but you know, you, you know you know going back to the education and talking about what people some people can and what some people can't do some people can go into education and it just they're like a duck to water a lot of us cannot sit still you know because there's undiagnosed ADHD and things like that there's dyslexia undiagnosed and the mind just will not allow him to sit at a table and read a book or take something down off a board, you know. And that's where these practical, I've I've really, really figured out. I was one of those people as well, but I just had that motivation that just, I couldn't stop. Even, I was stressed out of my fucking mind, completely mental mad. Nicole, I don't know how she didn't fucking drown me in my sleep or something like that, but... I just kept going. Do you know when you have that special drive and you know it and it's only when I look back now and say, oh, how the fuck did you get, how did you get through that? But it's, it's, some of us are practically based and do you know who I feel sorry for? It's for all the construction workers mm. that had no work during the lockdowns. A lot of them workers are working in the construction industry because they need to be working physically to take their minds away from mm. what's going on in here. And for them to be at home, doing nothing, a lot of them would have turned to drink that extra little bit more, and a lot of them drugs, and a lot of them, unfortunately, probably took their own lives during the lockdown as well, which is, is factual, you know what I mean? Because some people just need to be kept going constantly, you know, because they can't allow the thoughts to really sit and start barking them because I know I'm saying this now because of my own life and my own self-critic that's there always just waiting for me to just uh, you know but it's the awareness has helped me just becoming aware of the self-critic and we spoke earlier about the core beliefs the things that you 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 bring through your life from your childhood the belief that you're thick you're not you're stupid you're not good enough you know love all these different things when you don't feel her as a child and you know, all these things like but what kind of um what kind of challenges have you seen amongst your students if any with covid mm. 
Have you seen people come up against challenges that you wouldn't have seen in normal time or have they just kind of soldiered on now? I, I think it's been a mixed bag really for, for people. You had people who, um, like in terms of students in, in universities, there's a lot more diversity now as well because there's a lot more, I suppose people have started to realise that people learn in different ways. So you would have a, a lot of students who would be on the autistic spectrum disorder and some of them, it actually, they enjoyed, uh, they much preferred the online learning yeah. because it was less social part mm. of it. So they found it a little bit easier. There are students from low income families who need to work. They need to work to put themselves through education. So the fact that um, it, a lot of the lectures, most of the, all the lectures were recorded it meant that they were able to watch lectures at times that fitted in with their lives. Mm. You have um, parents who are parenting alone, who are students, who have small children. So when their children were gone to bed at night time, they could catch up on their lectures and they weren't under pressure to be in university at 11 o'clock. And I suppose for them, it made it more equitable because if you were parenting alone and you can't make your lecture at 11 o'clock because one of your kids, I mean, anyone who's had small children will know kids are, are constantly sick. They take, and then they take turns at getting sick. Um, you know, so you're thinking, oh, everyone else in, is, is in class now and they're all at the lecture and I'm missing it. I'm, and if you're coming from a place where you might be parenting alone, for example, you feel that extra pressure to be really, really good. So you feel like you have to, you know, maybe in a way that other people, other people might be happy to miss the odd lecture because they're tired or they're not feeling well. Whereas you you often find that students who have the biggest challenges actually push themselves harder and feel like they have to be better. So it made it more actually because they're not sitting at home going, oh my God, there's, you know, 80 people in class and I'm missing out. I'm going to miss something. What am I missing? So it leveled the playing field for some people. And um, then there were other people, yeah, where it they found it really difficult. Mm. You know, they, they particularly young people, they were, they, I mean, they, they missed out on experiences that you should be having when you're that age. You know, because I had them when I was that College is age. much more than learning in the lecture, isn't it? It's yeah. the informal piece before that, the experience of being on campus and the library, For some the young people, it might be their first time living away from home as yeah. well. And that being able to put your hair down and, and do things that you wouldn't want your parents to know about, yeah. which are all very important parts of growing up as yeah, well. Yeah. So that, that bit is missed out. The one thing I think that stood out to me is um, like when, when lockdown hit, I was, um, we, we have a master's in applied psychology and there was a group of students on that master's and I'm one of the, the co-directors with Dr. Angela Veal and I felt so sorry for them. You know, they, it's a one year course, it's a master's, a big part of the master's is placement yeah. and they were taken off their placement and it's a huge thing for their CVs. I mean, I was having sleepless nights about what that would mean for them and how quickly they bounced, but they were really disappointed, mm. but how quickly they bounced back and how supportive they were of each other and looking out for opportunities for each other. Oh, have you seen this? That it suits you. That could be something you'd put on your CV. So um, there were lots of challenges. Uh, I think a lot of people in the last 12 months have, you know, some people, their mental health has been impacted. Some people have said actually that they needed to step back. Yeah. And that actually their mental health improved. So I don't think it's been the same for everybody. I think the, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because, and I, I worked there, but I, I, I you know, I, you, possibly there's a bias, but I did find, I felt myself uh, that UCC very quickly put on a lot of um, 
supports and services for students. I, I, I suppose I can only talk about my own department in applied psychology. I know that my colleagues in applied psychology went above and beyond. Mm. Um, we were always on the, like, re, you know, students would email us and they'd say they were struggling and then we'd ring them and see what had to be done to put in place in order to support them. When you go to, for our students in applied psychology, we want our students to get the best grades that they can get for them. No, we don't want students to be coming in and failing and we want them to achieve their potential. Um, mm. So, um, you know, I suppose I, I just know, you know, in our own department, my colleagues, how hard they worked to try and make sure that everybody was looked What's after. What's your thoughts on the, the students got a big, um, they got a lot of bad press about this pop payment. Like there was a, a lot of media coverage around or the students that that would have been working part time and getting 150 euros and now getting 300 euros on the pop, and there was this idea that students were fucking raking in the coin because mm. of COVID. You know what I mean? But yeah, so, that, so it's not true. Yeah. So if you were earning 150 euros, you did not get a full pop payment. If you were earning 150 euros, you got 150 euros. Um, university is much more diverse now and actually in terms of the pop payment there's only a very small percentage of people on the pop payment that are actually students i have students who are mature students they do not live at home and um, they have been living independently for a long time they work full-time jobs down on top of their full-time education they get up at six o'clock in the morning and they stack shelves mm. they come into college and then they go home and they go out and they deliver pizza and they do that to put themselves through university. Mm. Um, COVID shut down their their work, but their university still kept going. So they absolutely deserve money in the same way as anybody else who lost their employment. Most, m- not most, but an awful lot of students now um, have to work mm. in order to pay rent, have to work in order to pay fees. And they do that and they balance their their college life as well. I think it's very unfair um, some of the commentary that's gone on around young people. Just because you're 23 it doesn't mean that you don't have outgoings in the same way as I do when I'm 45. People are entitled to to social welfare. You're entitled to it um, and you can't discriminate against one group just because Mm. of their age um, or because of the fact that they don't have a voice. Yeah. That's true, like, isn't it? But a very yeah. small percentage, a very small percentage of people on pauper students. Yeah. yeah. I suppose yourself and your colleagues in the psychology department, you really knew from your own kind of academic, being in academia, that what was going through, what was going on for all the students as well, the stress and, you know, and you knew that they needed that little bit of help. And I think it, it, it kind of worked around the clock because... Um, I knew a few lecturers as well that were out in the CIT and the amount of help that they gave some of the students because I remember being stuck here doing my, the end of my uh, fourth year and I literally lost my mind because I was stuck in here fucking 13 Like I needed the lecturers to be able to help me to understand what I was doing and I didn't have that and I was fucking mental but... Like, there was another class under us who would have gone in a fourth year then. Like, that was really, really tough, going in doing a full year on the laptop at home, you know. That's ridiculous, but I do know, like, that the lecturers out there in our department, which is construction, they were fantastic. And I'm sure throughout they were great. And there's fierce, there's fierce, fierce rec- recognising 
you know, for yourself and your colleagues and all those other lecturers, like, who had probably kids at home as well, that they weren't in crashes. Like, there is an applause as well for that because... Mm. We all done a fantastic job. The, the yeah, teachers got a raw deal though, didn't they? Because yeah. <laughs> there was times when I would be teaching, doing a live lecture, and my children would be right outside the door fighting yeah. with each other. And I'm sitting there just going, oh my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but the people have a perception that teachers have a cushy, and they had a cushy during the lockdown. But I even didn't see Gillian, and Gillian works in Newtreach, like, but she was doing a lot of work from home, like a lot of the classes was just still one-to-one engagement with people and mm-hmm. young people on Microsoft Teams and, you know, like people don't understand the challenges students have being stuck in the family home 24 hours of the day trying to learn on Microsoft Teams with the family coming in and out of the room and kids might be babysitting kids and, you know, if there's a dynamic at home that isn't great, it's so oh. challenging, like, you know, so for, for, for an awful lot of people... School is a sanctuary, you know, it's the chance to get out of a break from the family dynamic. And I think, or maybe, maybe what's your thoughts on this, that, like, the, the impact of the lockdown could probably, you know, the worst of it could be yet to come. Yeah. You know? I think we don't know what the fallout from lockdown will be yet, because I suppose, look, we know that um, domestic violence reports, domestic violence increased. We know that there were people drinking more from home than, than yeah. they normally would. Um you might have people who are in a relationship who probably shouldn't be um, and now they have to spend much more time together and there might not necessarily be violence, but it just might be very unpleasant. Mm. Um, so I think I know that there are certainly children where there are a lot of concerns about them um, and things that they might have experienced during lockdown. So I think it'll take us some time to know the full extent. One of the things I think that's really important is that, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll say if you're you're from a particular class or a particular area, you know, I say, oh, look, we've had it really hard. And through those people over there, they've loads of money. They're all right. Actually, and as well, you know, addiction, because if you've been through addiction centers, you know that that does not discriminate um, in terms of, of class. So there will be people who've been stuck at home from all socioeconomic groups yeah. with somebody who has been yeah, drinking or using drugs in a way that has been very destructive in the house. Um, so then if you think about doctors and nurses um, some of the things that they've witnessed and some of the things they've experienced. Um, Remember the RT documentary they did with Primetime where they they followed the nurses around in one of the hospitals in Dublin like well the traumas that the nurses experience, you know, wrapping bodies up and, you know, caring for people in their last few minutes of their lives and having to leave 12 old ships, come back in the morning and do it all again and wrapping bodies up. But the, there was one case there where this guy was elderly and he was dying, you know, and this um, nurse, she looked after him, she sang to him. The level of care was unbelievable, you know, and it's just like... Like, how can you see experience so much? Um, I don't know what you call it, vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, you know? Like, that has to have some impact on the nurses down the line, you know? I think maybe the government will provide grants and stuff, maybe supervision and stuff might be compulsory for people like that. But do you think that it should be compulsory? Well, I don't think... So when you, you were talking about supervision, what you mean is, we'll say, well, other people call counselling. So Yeah, counselling, yeah. 
when counselling becomes compulsory, it's not a good idea. Yeah. Because if somebody is not ready to talk about something and you're they're forced to sit in a room, they just won't bring the stuff up. Mm. And then when they really need to do it, they're less likely to come back because they'll have had a negative experience. But I certainly think that we should invest heavily um, in our mental health services, um, which would include access for for people who worked on the front line as well, mm. and doctors and nurses. Um, as you said, like, you know, there's not just the work stuff and what they witnessed at work, um, but then they were very isolated and mm. stigmatized as well. Because like uh, somebody we know is a doctor and yeah. uh, I did, you know, she, uh, I did not want to spend time with her or go near her because she was a doctor and she could be at risk of giving me COVID. So, you know, which is a terrible thing to say, but um, I've spoken to doctors and nurses where their children were not invited to things. Um, and other kids in the class were, and it was because people had a fear that because these, this house has healthcare workers in it, Therefore, they may be more at risk of having COVID. So there's there's things like that that maybe we hadn't thought about because we don't have those jobs. Um, there are nurses, young nurses, who were living at home with parents who had high-risk medical conditions. They moved out of their homes and rented um, uh, apartments and lived on their own, mm. entirely on their own. Um, young nurses who couldn't live at home because they did not want to infect their family members. Mm. And then if you think about, you know, when it's a stressful job, and if you're talking about a nurse who's 26 or 27 years of age, one of the ways that they do unwind is, you know, doing things with their friends, whether it's yoga or whether it's going out to a nightclub, because some people can go out to a nightclub and and do that safely and successfully. Other people can't. (laughs) So whatever it is that you do to unwind, whether it was a gym or yoga or going for coffee with your friends or going to a nightclub, that was gone too. So they were quite intense shift work. And then you're coming home to nothing. And all of your your informal social supports are are missing. So at the moment in the last couple of weeks, people are very angry. Um, You can see that on social media and talking to people. People are very angry because this has gone on for a long time and people have had enough. Um, But I think that when we do that, when we get really angry, and I understand it, that we don't forget that, you know, if you own a restaurant and your your business has been, um, is, is gone and you've lost all your money, and the, the, the groups of people that you might want to blame for this, that in most houses, there is a story. Mm. In most houses, people have experienced difficulties. There are very few people who have not experienced difficulties mm. during the pandemic. And it has gone on for a long time. We need to kind of tone things down a small bit now, tone down the anger a little bit Mm. and remember um, that the best thing is actually for us to be good, decent human beings I thought you were going to say that we're all in this together. (laughs) We we know we're not all in this together. We're not. No, No, we're not. It's been a difficult year, hasn't it, for everybody? Mm. It's been a really, really difficult year throughout. and, And I suppose... It just came upon us out of nowhere. Nobody, there was nothing set up for it, and people adapted in the best way they could and used whatever external stuff like to to be able to cope with it. Drugs, drink, and all these different things, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't think we'll see the, the the consequences of that for a year or two. Mm-hmm. But I, I I would have a slight little concern about the social kind of aspect for kids. You know, um, I had two kids locked in the house for, for, for 12 months. I had a daughter that didn't leave her room. 
you know, and 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 that's what I would be more worried about in terms of that. No, she's fine now again, you know. But there are the times, and her age, she's fourteen. There are the times where she really needs to be connecting with her friends in school, and needs some form of contact, she, and, and not be locked in the room and stuff like that. But you know, I'm not complaining about anything like that, but. There are things that have happened during the lockdown that we will not see the effects of it for years and years to come, you know. Um, and that's my my view on it, and particularly the mental health thing. I think mental health thing, like, you know dogs, little dogs that were being given away for nothing, mongrels. Mm. Just, they're being sold for five and six hundred quid on, on Dundee and all these websites at the moment because people couldn't sit with themselves inside in their houses they needed a dog a companion which is great I thought it was a fantastic idea but like the other fucking obstacle then <laughs> dogs were being robbed right left and centre from people's yeah. backyards I know Do you know I wouldn't leave my dog out the back I still weren't you know but it's, it's it, listen it just goes to show humans right we need companionship we need something or someone there just to sit Come on here and I give it a dog is the best thing ever. You see my little fella there and here he's licking the toes off me well the guy, you know what I mean? He's great little fella. But kids are like that too, they need their friends. They yeah. need someone that's on the same level of mind as them. Not two parents then. Where's your homework? Why is that not done? Yeah. Do you know what's going on? You're on the phone to the principal, you know, all that shit. Kids don't need that. They're struggling as it is because they have no connection. And they're stuck at home with two fucking angry adults because they can't get out and do more as well or go to the pub or whatever the fuck they want to do. Timmy's gone on a rant. So, <laughs> but yeah. one of the things I think is that if we look back on what has happened, if we look, if we have, if we have people who can be really honest and, and, and have some leadership and look back and see these are the things that went wrong and... It, this last year and a half doesn't have to have been for nothing mm. if we take an opportunity to learn mm. and say, what have we learned and what would we do differently? Um, and, and what do we need to change? So we know that um, coming out of the pandemic, that inequalities that existed before are going to be worse than they were coming in. So there's ways in which we can address it. So yeah. we need to fund mental health. Yeah. Um, we need to keep children in education for longer. And um, we need to have an education system, you know, f- that, that suits all children. You know, so the kids who are not the academic learners, that when they go to school, that they don't go in and feel like they are not good enough. And yeah. um, because they're not academic, because um, we, we need to produce carpenters, plumbers, uh, all different types of trades yeah. people um, and and the longer you keep people in school the better it is for them so school needs to be a bit more creative in terms of not just focusing on the academic yeah. side of things um, so that when everybody who goes there when they come out that they feel they've achieved their potential mm. not everybody needs to go to university mm. um, lots of people will I'd like anyone who who really wants to go and who feels that it would, you know, there's something that they really wanted to learn or that, we, that everyone who, who has that feeling that they get the opportunity. But for all the people who say, that's not for me, mm. I'm outside, work with my hands, that's what makes me happy, that we keep them in education for a bit longer as mm. well. Mm. Because when you're you're doing those trades, and you know this to me, there's things that are very useful to know mm. in terms of uh, running businesses, mm. 
the finances, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, it it would be lovely if they learned all those things rather than mm. learning them, learning by mistakes as they go, if they had some kind of a foundation before yeah. they start. Something popped into my head there while you were saying that. You know, when I started in the CIT, there was a, a course called Craft Wood with Business. It was a, a, a practical course making roofs, houses, all this other stuff, construction based. And it was fantastic for the likes of me who like working with their hands. But there was also the business aspect as well, where they'd show you a little bit of counting, a bit of maths, a bit of this, a bit of that. It was fantastic. But what they found was after the first year or two, the numbers were gone from 15 to 4 or 3. You know, it was just, it was just, they brought the businessy side in. And that's when fellas started to drop off because they, had, they didn't want the businessy side. They didn't want the academic side. They just wanted the practical side, you know. And you made a, a great point about it with kids and um, why don't schools have certain kind of um, classrooms where a lot of it, maybe 60, 70% of it is practical? Because I know I soared. My high, highest marks in school were through woodwork and art because I was drawing and I was uh, I was cutting a bit of timber and I was using a chisel. I was brilliant at it. You know, the only thing was I couldn't keep the chisels out of my bag or, <laughs> or the paint or spray paint out of my bag, you know. They were the only things, but, you know, it's a fantastic point. But you see, if you, if you had a better experience in school, if school had not damaged, da- you've been on record as saying that school actually damaged your self-esteem, it made you feel worse going in there than it did, you know, if you weren't there. If you'd had a more positive experience of school, I think that if you did go on to go and do a third level, you know, something like construction with business or whatever it is, I think that you would be less frightened of the book side of it mm. because you have you don't associate that with. I wonder how many people don't pursue that because they believe in their core that they can't as mm. opposed to they're not interested or they're not able that they just believe that they can't because they've had such a negative experience of education. Um, so we have to look at a holistic a way, the way that we, we view children. In, in terms of psychology, we know that there are risk and protective factors for kids. There are, are things in, in children's lives that cause risks and there are things in, in children's lives that are protective factors that allow them to, to grow. One of those, the biggest protective factors is education. Now, mm. education it does not have to be just the stuff in books. But actually, if you boost somebody's confidence and self, self-esteem as a learner, if they say, actually, I, I can learn this stuff, um, they might not get the, you know, they might not do honours maths for their leaving cert, mm. but actually they might enjoy learning a little bit more mm. and not be so frightened of it. Um, and and that, again, that, that focus on grades. Mm. If you're focused on grades, you're not paying attention to what you're learning. So I, I think it would be a real shame if after everything we've been through in the last year and a half that we didn't take an opportunity to step back and say, what could we do differently yeah. to make life a bit better for people? It would be great like if, um, if at the end of the year mm. we didn't give a child a grade they gave us like a happiness scale. Like, how did you enjoy the year? Mm. And I agree, I went to tell how happy I was the yeah. class. Not like, hey, was your grade? You did poor, fair, or very good, excellent, you know? Mm. But like asking people like to make school enjoyable and focus on children's happiness. Mm. But can I ask you one, two questions? Oh, yes. From, sorry, the, no, yeah. from the crowd. 
I thought you were going to run these by me beforehand. No, keep you on your keep you on your toes. That's fine. Are we all right for time? Cool. No, I wanted just to write down times there. For all right. the, um, if you could ask Sharon, how can you regulate a child that loses their temper very quickly? One of the best ways to regulate a child who loses their temper is how well regulated you are yourself, actually. Uh, and I... Yeah, so is that how I regulate you? Yes, so <laughs> Iron James, and he's very grounded, as you know, to me, very yeah. calm. He's like a, a little Buddha, uh, and I can ring him sometimes when I'm very cross, and it's usually something to do with homelessness, and he'll be like calm, and then I'm regulated. Um, no, so so it's so children are learning about emotions. So sometimes I think people. When, when a child has a tantrum or when a child gets upset, I think sometimes you feel, I am a parent, so I can say this as a parent and a psychologist. Sometimes you feel, um, that you're just not, you're not doing a good job and they're there and they're having a total meltdown and you think, oh my God, I'm such a crap parent. Why can't they just be good and behave themselves? Mm. Children are not good and they don't behave themselves all the time. Uh, one of the things as well as you'll often find is that, you know, a child has been at school all day and they've had a great day and they come in and they have a total meltdown inside the house and you're like, oh my God, what's going on here? When a child does that, what they're doing is they're telling you that this is a safe place. Mm. Because children go outside of the house and they behave themselves and then they come in home and they have a meltdown and um, they've possibly held on to lots of emotions during the day and had to work really hard to be good and then they come in and they let it all go so sometimes as parents we go oh my god i'm a terrible parent i can't get my child under control actually if you think about it from the point of view and you go i've created a very safe home for my child because when they come in here, they can express their emotions, whether it's positive mm. or negative. But in that moment, then when you're the parent, you're going, oh, Jesus Christ, I wish they'd shut up. Or why am I so bad? Or why do I not have any skills to manage this mm. child? Um, and, and then the more kind of anxious you get about that or more worried you get about that, actually, the child gets more worked up. Mm. Take a deep breath yourself and just walk away from it sometimes. Um, if you need to, if you're getting too agitated, mm. um, if you stay calm, they will stay calm. Um, eventually. Eventually, yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily always a negative thing. Mm. Um, it's just when they've they've done their tantrum and you can say, look, you know, try and help them name that feeling. Mm. You know, sometimes they don't even know what the feeling is. So were they frustrated? Were they disappointed? Were they frightened? Were they sad? Were they angry? Mm. Um, and uh, just trying and they say, oh, you know, it's great that you were able to tell me, um, but this is a way we might be able to do it differently. Yeah. But it's not always a, a friend of mine says to me, you should allow your children to have at least one bad day a week. Mm. Because you're very small. You're taking on an awful lot of mm. information. It can be very overwhelming. Mm. Uh let them have a little meltdown every now and again. It's all coming out. If you're not, the, the biggest problem is if you are judging yourself yeah. as a parent, thinking I'm not good enough because my child is having a meltdown. And mm. um, that puts you under a lot of pressure. And I, I often find it in, in homes where people are parenting alone. Um, if you're, if two people are parenting together, if the child has a meltdown, you can say, oh, sure. She takes after her father. Oh, yeah. she, that's the mother. Whereas if you're the only parent in the house and the child is having a meltdown, it's all eyes on you. So sometimes parents who are parenting alone feel an awful lot of pressure to have mm. a very good yeah. child. Yeah. yeah, Children are not supposed to be good all of the time. That's not normal. Yeah, no, it's not. Drawing the Eckhart Hall book that Timmy, I'm reading this Eckhart Hall book, which is fucking brilliant, the power to know. I'm getting huge awareness around it. But um, 
he says, when you ha- when, when the conscious person comes across the unconscious person, so in this child, hopefully the adult is the conscious person and the child is having a tantrum, the child is unconscious, the child is gone. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So if you if the adult, if the conscious person engages head on with an unconscious person, the conscious person becomes unconscious mm-hmm. and then you're, you're bored at it. Mm-hmm. So it's just, and it, there's another theory, um, Eric Burns' uh, transactional analysis, you mm-hmm. know, parent, adult, child. Child goes into tantrum mode, don't go into critical parent mode because it's just going to be like what Gabba Mayata says to us, put your hands together, push the right one against the left, and what happens? Resistance. Mm-hmm. Resistance is what's going to happen. Stay that centered person, stay that, stay in yeah. adult mode, you know, keep, and eventually they'll balance out, <laughs> like what I was talking about earlier on. Be the ocean. The ocean comes when, when the storms outside, the ocean will wave at the top. But at its core, the ocean is very still. And when that storm passes, what you're left with is stillness. So the adult has to be the still person, leave the child, create waves, and eventually become still with the adult. It can be very hard to be still, though. You can. I know. If, 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 if there's this big fucker... That's an explanation now from somebody... That, he's, you know, uh, I have no kids. <laughs> no, it was great listening to you there. The, the, the change, yeah, but it can be very hard for a parent if their child comes in and this big fucker is out the street and he's kicking him and hitting him with all the, like, you just... Uh, red, the bullhorns are starting to pop, like, in the forehead. And then you're sitting there for ten seconds and you're trying to get zened out of it, like, you're thinking, ah... <laughs> Power low, you know, be the yeah. present moment. But I know. if you do be calm and just say it's okay, mm-hmm. like that, you're really teaching that child the best way possible to deal with situations in their lifetime. You know, if you go off the handle, who, who done it? And I'm saying this now because I've done it. Mm-hmm. I've often went out that door like the charging bull, like wanting blood, but um, mm. I've learned to be calm, you know. I've I've no shame with this and I'll always say it like I nearly went back to prison sober and clean years and years like because of anger mm-hmm. just complete raw anger that was just belly up deep and so on I thought I was a fucking zen master walking around the place because I was meditating no no I had a lot of stuff bottled up and um, it's just there's more to the meditation as well as talking mm-hmm. talking to people mm. And talking about it. And, and self-compassion as well, because one of the things as well is that you just have to be a good enough parent. Um, sometimes people are trying too hard to be a perfect. It is impossible. Um, and I think particularly if, if for people who've experienced challenges in their own childhood, they say, I'm going to work so hard to make sure that my kid, my kid's life is totally different. And sometimes people can put themselves under too much pressure. Mm. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. There's the good enough parent. So some days you're really good and some days you're not at your best. Like I see that myself, you know, the, putting the, the kids down to bed at nighttime and you might be under pressure with a deadline or something. And you're like, Jeannie, will you ever get into bed? Get into bed! Get out of bed. Yeah. And then another day you're okay and you say, good night, my darling. <laughs> I love you so much. And they get into bed and it's amazing. The nights that you're like that, night, mom, and mm. not a bother. The night that you're, get out of bed, get out of bed, they're up 10 times. Mm. Yeah. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I need to go to the toilet. Mm. She looked at me funny. Yeah. And it all comes back to us and how we are as adults around children they learn much more about the way to behave by the way we behave than what we actually say mm. and we 
often put too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect parents when we just have to be good enough. Mm. I have another question for you there. This guy says, um, for somebody that's in recovery a few years, right? No drinking drugs, grateful to be sober and all these things, but hasn't really progressed in his recovery. Um, very unhappy, depressed, uh, angry due to experiences that they may have experienced that, that led to the drug use in the first place. Is there any specific type of therapy you could suggest for that person um, to deal with the underlying traumas um, that would help them progress in their recovery? Or is there any techniques you think that they could use or solve? Maybe you, you, mm. you could even answer that as well to me. Yeah, I'd leave Sharon go first. I think the first thing is that there isn't one size fits all. Mm. Um, the most important thing, so I, 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 we know the talk and therapy works. Mm. Uh, we know they're going to talk to people. And um, sometimes what happens, you know, when you go to the, if, if I have a chest infection in the morning and I go into the doctor and they give me a prescription um, and they can fix that, mm. it does not, I don't have to have a, a, a relationship with that doctor for me to become physically well. Yeah. But if I'm going to see somebody about my mental health, I have to have a good connection with them for it to work. Mm. And I think what happens is we don't say that enough out loud. So somebody plucks up the courage to go to see somebody, whether it's a, a, a psychotherapist or a counselor or a psychologist or whoever it is, and they go in and they just don't click. And they what ends up happening then is they think that they're the problem. They say, ah, sure, it's not for me. Mm. Now, like as somebody, I've, I've, been, I've, would, I've go to see a psychologist every now and again whenever I feel I need to. But I went to an awful lot of people before I found him, um, and I know the first couple of times I thought, oh, maybe it's not the right time, or I'm not ready, or I'm just not it, you know, or there's something wrong with me, or I'm very judgmental, or whatever it is. And then I found somebody who who just worked quite well in terms of the way that I think about the world. Um, and I always say, like, you know, you go give it, you know, two or I think three or four sessions. And if after three or four sessions or maybe even two or three, you might even know after the first one sometimes. But, you know, if you go, uh, even the, the person I go to, who's just fantastic and, and I've been going on and off for, for years, like the first time I went in, I wasn't sure. But I was like, I don't know about him. I don't know. And then I think by the third one, he said something and I, I thought he actually understands what I'm saying here and this is going to work. And that must be mm, 15 or 16 years ago. You know, but I would have gone to different people before that and only gone two or three times and it just didn't work. So like if I, we could go out for a meal mm. and we could go in and the two of you could say, Jesus, I love this place. I love the food here. And I might say, oh, no, 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 I'm mad about it. Mm. I'm not going to keep going back. Mm. You can keep going back. I'm not going to keep going back because it's just not my cup of tea. There's nothing wrong with that restaurant. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. And it's the same when you go to a therapist. It doesn't mean that the therapist isn't any good or there's anything wrong with you. They're just not the right person for you. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why there is so many therapies. You have to mm-hmm. have a relationship and the therapy has to work for you. Yeah. There's loads of different things out there. There's CBT, there's sensorial psychotherapy, there's trauma therapies. There's loads of different types of therapies. Mm-hmm. It has to be the right one for you and you have to get it. And it is absolutely worth the effort. Yeah of finding the right person for you because the difference it will make in the long run. Do you know that? Um, I think it's gestalt therapy mm. where they, they say like, um, if, 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 if James, five-year-old James was sitting in the chair next to you, you know, they kind of use objects, you know, and you have to kind of project your younger self into the object and you, you have to talk to your younger self 
but they did that with me in San Francis Farm but I learned about it then in, in the UCC you know about that type of therapy like, but I found that very beneficial it can be very emotional now mm. because all of a sudden you're thinking about James as five or six and you start to feel what you used to feel at that age mm. and you know um, I actually use I actually use that all the time yeah I always do it for my Anytime I feel some form of sadness or when my stuff comes up, I revert back into that child. Uh, and and I, I, I look at how that child would be feeling, that feeling I'm feeling right now, and I just give it some love. It took me a long, long time to do this, James. You know, yeah. Sharon, it took me a long, long time. I fortunately had to kind of start trying to love myself and having a bit of compassion for myself and... They, these things do come in time, mm. but you you hit the nail in the head about the the counselor, the psychologist, the psychotherapist, art therapist, equine yeah. therapist, yeah. so many Anything. different. Just Lattery. Just Lattery. You hit the nail in the head. If the first one doesn't work, if the second one doesn't work, you keep moving, but do give them a chance. Don't go after the first mm. one. You know, I'm I'm a body reader. I read the body language of the counselor straight away. I'm completely tuned in. I look for the signs. I look for the signs to walk out the door. <laughs> I look for, I'm looking for their bad points, like, so I can get back out that door. And the minute I see it, I'm fucking gone. You know, but that was my way of life, of, of not facing responsibility and mm. not wanting to be able to dress my own shit. Mm. You know, but. It costs me more to get my hair done yeah. than it does to go and see a counsellor. Yeah. Yeah. And if I went in and got my hair done and they didn't do a good job, I would go to the next place yeah. and go to the next place until I find the right place. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that when we destigmatize therapy and you see it as a, a, a thing that people do, um, I think if you're frightened of it and going in um, and you have a, this negative experience that you might not then keep trying to go to the next one. So I think it's a conversation that we have to have is that it's about you know, I went to such and such personal trainer. He wasn't great. My buddy told me about somebody else. I, I don't go to personal trainer. I don't have any access. But, you know, so like you do and you'd go to different people until you find the right one because you'd care about your hair yeah. or you'd care about your physical fitness. So if you care about your mental health, you make sure that you get the right person for you. Yeah. yeah. There's, I'm just thinking here and, and there's a different way of looking at it as well. And, and, and I'm going to look at it for my own. Um, reflection um, I could have been told all the the information I needed to understand that I was the way I was not because of myself and I, I wasn't bad it was just shit happened to me but you know when you have that core feeling it's not a word coming into your head it's just that really raw feeling that you're bad you know some people really carry that and that's the shift it doesn't matter what the psychology tells you or mm. What anything else tells you, if if you keep rumin- telling yourself, oh, you're a great person, I'm a great person, you could be saying that and there's no connection then mm-hmm. because you feel like you're fucking bad and, and it's very hard to drop. For me, it's shame, you know, um, and f- fear, you know, rejection, abandonment, all these different things, but, you know. There's other ways as well to release that, you know, and, and I always talk about ayahuasca, but meditation, it's about feeling that stuff and just surrendering into this fucking really dark, rotten feeling. I remember being inside in the prison cell 
wanting to die, you know, meditating, and the worst thing, I won't mention the book now, because I could probably bought the court over it, but there was this certain, there was this <laughs> certain, this certain book, right, and, and this is very, very important, because <laughs> some people, I could be literally, you know, sued over this, this certain book, was telling me, no, I'm completely depressed inside the prison cell wanting to take my own life. And I was in early recovery. And this book was telling me that when meditating, watch your thoughts. My thoughts were all critical. You're bad, you're disgusting, you're horrible, you're the worst person. Watch my fucking, t- I had no awareness. I'm in early recovery. I was only after waking up two months before that. It was my... F- longest time ever off drugs and alcohol and for all these thoughts and shame fear guilt all things of the past and now this book is telling me oh sit back and just watch my dog it literally lost my fucking mind only for I had a great person in the prison helping me you know a psychologist as well Um, so, so, so yeah a psychologist and uh, I was able to keep sitting with it do you know the way Eckhart Tolle talks about at this, the front uh, at the, the start of his book his intro is how he became aware, you know, he had a breakdown. Uh, one night, he su- and he surrendered into complete depression. He wanted to take his own life. And he surrendered directly into that feeling. And he just lay down on the floor and he shaked and shaked and shaked and shaked. He woke up the next morning and it, there was no voice. There was no critic. It was all gone. And he was completely aware. He was like somebody who just after taking DMT or fucking ayahuasca or something. And he was completely... His senses were hyper, hyper vigilant, right? Um, that's like that's where I was in that cell, mm. but I didn't know that I never surrendered ever in my life. I fought everything that came up. I came up against fought everything, and I fought these thoughts. No, I'm not that person at all, you know. And they, oh, you are, you know. And that shit went on, but if I just surrendered into him and left, but I didn't have the education, I didn't know nothing. I was complete, I was a child. I was literally a, f- a six or seven year old child inside in a cell, man's prison inside in the Midlands, and I hadn't a clue. I was completely full of fear. You know, I was, I lived in adrenaline for most of the sentence. I just, I was constantly living in fear, fight or flight. I just, you know, constant, uh, because I lived my whole life in those emotions anyway, because that's the way it was, but now we'll get to the point. Um, meditation and just surrendering into those feelings is the key, is the key. You've raised a very important issue there as well about, so a lot of people who do meditation and mindfulness, and I like mindfulness, and when you get it and you get it right, you can see the impact that it has on you. Mm. So sometimes you can get a bit evangelical about it and you're going around telling everyone, do mindfulness, do this, do this, because it's great. Um, and we forget, actually, that uh, for some people it can be very traumatic actually yeah. doing mindfulness or meditation because there might be a piece of work that has to be done first. So that's the the thing about, you know, to answer, go back to that question, mm. is that there's a different right answer for everybody and then that answer can change along the road so a lot of people say oh meditation mindfulness and it's great and then you have somebody who's sitting there and they can't face some of the stuff that that, that's coming up for them it might be better for them to do a little bit of therapy first and then get into mindfulness or meditation so it's 
and sometimes people, when they try mindfulness or meditation, because people say about how great it is, and it is great, and if it doesn't work for them, they feel like, oh God, this is another thing I'm crap at. Mm. Another thing I can't do, sure I can't. Yeah. Like That's oh, not easy. Me- mm. Meditation, sure, mindfulness, sure, all that is is sitting down and breathing in your nose and out your mouth, and I can't even get that right. Yeah. And it's not, it's actually very complicated. Yeah. Um, so we have to be really careful about, um, you know, it's like the, the they say that the... Uh, the, the ex-smokers are the worst because they're always going on about how easy it is to go smoking because they've forgotten how hard it was the first time. Yeah. You know, and it's the same for that is if you've had the privilege of which which we've, the three of us have had of, of having access to good therapies and different types yeah. of therapies, yeah. um, you forget actually how hard it was in the start and how hard that journey was to find the right one. So it's really important. And there is something out there for everybody whether it's the art therapy or the equity, some people mm. will not do not want to do talking therapies. Yeah. Um, so there are other ways of doing things mm. as well. Try everything yeah. and find the one that's for some you. Some people get a true God. And if that's what works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I ask you one last question before we wrap up yeah. briefly? Advice for us. Have any advice for us at the moment? No, uh, we're a year old. We've got some live geeks coming up. We sold over 100 tickets yesterday for the Everyman Palace in two hours. I think we'd have sold Davy Man Palace, mm. which, you know. We're doing podcasts in prisons. We're doing a Zoom in the morning with a lady in Limerick Prison that's doing a few years. Mm. Um, her, right? We did a Zoom a few weeks ago. Not a podcast Zoom, just to meet them first. So we're starting to go into the prison to do podcasts with people, marginalised people, right? Um, have you any advice for us in terms of how to approach that? Like, I know you do a lot of research with marginalised people and ethically like how we can protect them protect us would you keep it um would you keep the questions superficial would you hide identity so for people who are in custody uh, if i was they're going back as you both know that you're going back to a cell on your own at night time with your own thoughts Mm. and they don't have sufficient support one thing about i like about you the two of you is that you have covered some very difficult topics in the last year and some of those topics are outside of your area of expertise. And I know that every single time you've done that, that you have done research, you've rang. Like I know mm-hmm. that you, I won't get into which ones they were, but I know yeah. that you've had people on where, you know, you've contacted me beforehand saying this, how do we make sure that we do not ask questions yeah. that are going to to damage the person who 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 freely wants to come this in. This is drilled into us in UCC. Yeah. Do you know when yeah. we're doing research, as you know, mm-hmm. you go through the ethics. So when we're when we we've guests, son, it doesn't matter who they are. If it was you, Gillian, a prisoner, it's always about like how they're going to be it when they finish. Mm-hmm. When this goes out and tell you they're going to regret it, we don't want to ask them anything that's they're going to you know expose them. So I suppose yeah, it, it's like and that's the advice then is to keep doing what you're already doing and yeah. stay true to yourself. Like I've seen and I've heard interviews on, you know, on the television or the radio or even in newspapers where, you know, sometimes in opinion pieces in newspapers that have been written by journalists that they clearly have not done their research um, because they have an opinion about something. I have a lot of opinions. Mm. Some of those opinions that I have are actually kind of shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I have shitty opinions about things um, that I'm not qualified to talk about. So I don't. Um, and there's too often there are people and I think that that's not helpful at the moment actually Mm. as well with COVID is that there are people who have opinions where they haven't actually thought about the consequences of those opinions for all of the different stakeholders Mm. so that's it it's about thinking about who are the stakeholders here the stakeholders are you 
mm. and your recovery. Mm. Are you going to be doing anything that's going to be bad for you? And mm. um, the person who's coming in to give their time to do the interview mm. and then your listeners. And I know that that is something that you think about because we've spoken about yeah. those things in the past. Mm. You know, for example, if you're, if you're talking to somebody who's experienced sexual violence, just because they've, they've talked about it to you in one place, doesn't mean they'll talk to you about it tomorrow. Mm. So in, in terms of sexual violence, you need to have consent every time. No. every time so if I had said to you outside there I had experienced sexual violence and then we came in here and you said oh I remember when you said you have to have consent yeah. every time um, that's yeah. the thing with trauma is that um, if no matter what the trauma is whether it's you've experiences of domestic violence or a parent who, who died by suicide whatever the trauma is is that there are days when you feel really strong in yourself and you're happy to talk about that. And then you might have a day where you feel a little bit vulnerable and you know you are, so you're minding yourself and you say, mm. I'm not 100%. Sometimes it could be something as simple as a head cold. You have a head cold, so your system is a little bit low. And when you're physically a little bit low, you can feel it mentally. And you'll say to yourself, I'm not 100% today, so mm. I've got to really mind myself. Mm. And then you walk down and somebody says, oh, and you know that thing, you don't have consent to talk about that today mm. just because they talked about it yesterday because mm. it's how are, how is somebody today? So if somebody agrees to come on the podcast and you, you've done, I know you've done this and they've contacted you and say, look, this is my story and they tell you things, I know that you always check with them mm. before, you know, so today yeah. we're going to do this because just because they told you last week doesn't mm. mean that they want to tell a lot you today. Of people, a lot of the time people contact, with their story, contact us with their story and it might be an amazing story, but wouldn't wouldn't have man if we if we think that they're going to be too, um, vulnerable. yeah, too vulnerable, they're, really. if they're not in a place where they can actually just they might like they might be fine talking about it here in a room because you forget the cameras and you yeah. forget everything, but then two weeks time it's on YouTube and there's thousands of people watching it. How are you, how are you going to be? And that's what we're always thinking about. Like, how is that possible going to be in two weeks time when their mother's cousin next door neighbor watches them? disclose their personal story they're not going to be able are there other family members who were unaware mm. that this person was going to yeah. disclose and we've had certain guests who I won't name that I felt like at the time maybe it was probably a mistake or maybe if we knew how they were going to be on it um, you know like I felt uncomfortable I suppose mm. not because the story the story was unbelievable but I just felt worried from that was yeah. I suppose that's I felt worried from I, I, I see that we're not psychologists Sharon as you know we're not therapists we're in two fellas in recovery trying to help others and if somebody comes in to our care which mm. is what you're in at the moment you're you know we're responsible make but sure you do do that you always check yeah. on people afterwards but, so you have to and actually met um um, Gina, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, I met her yeah. in town today. She spoke about um, mm-hmm. the sexual assault that she experienced when she was in Australia. Oh, I haven't. That's on my it's list. A, it's once, great. Yeah. It's great. But I met her in town a while ago. She was walking the pram uh, with her little child. But um, asked her how she was and you know what was it like after that. And she says unbelievable feedback. And still, people, women text her an email or saying like. I had similar experience, you know, and I, I thought like that, uh, you know, it was yeah. nothing really because it wasn't traditional rape, but it was, it was an oral, you know. And One of the things I have to say to you, I think, is to 99.9% of people are going to support you. There's always going to be somebody out there who won't. And the bigger your star rises, 
Mm. the more there might be somebody who wants to knock you off that star. Mm. Um, And I think if you've come from a place of recovery, sometimes that one small little voice that's quite negative can really seem very loud against a hundred positive voices. Yeah. Um, So being careful of that. And I remember watching um, a a blind boy interviewing um, Russell Brand and they were talking about how do you manage, you know, the negative stuff that people say about you. Because once you put yourself out there, mm. you get an awful lot of positive stuff, but you do get people who want to say negative things about you. Yeah. Um, I've gotten a bit of shit. You know what the gas thing is? People write comments on YouTube, right? Mm. And they delete them. Uh, but you know, every time somebody comments, I get an email notification with the comment and the name. Okay. So people delete the comments, but I, I know who they are and I see the comment, you know. Well, when I watch... <laughs> I don't show nobody and I delete them, you know. But, but when I watch that, what they said was one thing that they don't do is they don't read those comments. Mm-hmm. And they don't Google themselves. Yeah. And they don't look up their name on Twitter. Because if you're somebody who's experienced mental health or addiction, what you will do... Mm. If you Google yourself, is you will scroll Look past. For the bad things. You you will, will yeah. <laughs> Timmy, you're fabulous. Timmy, you saved my life. Timmy, oh, yeah. Timmy, I hate your accent. I don't understand anything you're saying. You're stupid. You're a scumbag. And you or have, whatever you fuck. pass down a hundred yeah. positive comments and not even finish yeah. the sentences. Yeah. And then you'll come to this one and you'll go, oh. It's the yeah, and it'll catch you. It's in the like chest. You're, we're actually addicted to the emotions of that. Your it's emo- somebody needs to remind me that I'm not a good person. So <laughs> that's well, the then, thing. Well, that's going on the next question, of the week. Go on, Ron. Yeah, man. Yes, go on, hit me. I am Ron. Yeah. Two, two. Hey, this is what I sound like, everyone. Can you see that? Take a step back there, you Leonard. I know it's my way. It's my lead. There you go. You know, go on. What do you mean? It was that's been like for me? Honestly, it's been a huge saviour for me because I used to DJ before this. So outside of my normal nine to five, I always had something to look forward to. Be it a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Um, I lost all that. Obviously, I haven't DJed since March. I think it was lockdown last year. March thirteenth was it? So I remember my last gig was in Murphy's Rock and I, it was St. Patrick's Day, two or three days later. I had five, six gigs lined up that week and the manager was like, oh, don't worry, we'll definitely be back, nothing's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Literally next day, lockdown, gone. So I spent months and months at home, like most people, thankfully, I was used to working from home. I had worked from home for nearly two and a half years before COVID, so it wasn't a shock to me in that sense. But uh, it was then having nothing else to do, so I always had football, I always had DJing. I also had my social interactions, so I was been stuck at home, it was shitty. Then he called one day saying, listen, we're left hanging there by some fella, could you come up and sort us out? Because James annoyed a bit of it. Literally, yeah. <laughs> so uh, basically, I think James probably knew from my history in, in work and you know, DJ and stuff, I had a bit, of, a bit of expertise when it came to stuff like this, sound and audio. Um, I literally thought I was filling one gap, lads. Came up, thought I dug you out of a hole. I was expecting all more of it. I actually remember telling my girlfriend, like, you never guess what she's like what I was like I have something to do tonight I have to go up and help the boys of the podcast and she was like no way uh, I was excited so excited I was shitting myself too though because I was aware of where you're coming from and what the sort of you know how we were starting to build and stuff so I didn't want to fuck up really and I was like come on Oran you, you can do this uh, and he did and then they asked me back again and they asked me back again and that was what 
45 episodes ago. Yeah. And here I am. So yeah, still going, like, still going strong. Um, you wouldn't come from the recovery uh, and madness that me no. and Timmy come from. No. So what's it like for you to hear some of the topics that we touch on? Maybe you wouldn't have come across those topics if you hadn't come on the podcast. Yeah, I honestly can say I am a better person for being here. I did carry a lot of stigma. I did carry a lot of sort of stereotypes with me about certain parts of life. And you know what? I was quite ignorant to a lot of stuff. I knew social and social stuff happened, but I, I grew up in around areas where I saw it firsthand. I knew what that was like. But mental health stuff, I've never really suffered mentally. At least I don't think so, unless there's something going on that I'm not aware of. But uh, I definitely have a bit more empathy for people. In particular, I think as you said to me, even your dad now looks at people differently. And I'm the same in town because I live in the city centre. So I'm constantly seeing homeless people and people begging and blah, blah, blah. And in the last 12 months, I've definitely taken that moment to go okay, I may not have anything on me and realistically I don't because it's all fucking cards. No, I, don't, I haven't a cash in my pocket for over a year and I feel bad for fellas. No one I'm saying, Christ, I'd love to give him a few bob or whatever because I can see firsthand, especially when lockdown was around, they were the only people on the street. I'd be cycling through the city centre during lockdown. Not a sinner. Scarily so. It could be a sunny Saturday afternoon. Nobody around. Just fellas drinking, fellas begging, fellas sleeping on the road and I was sort of like, you know, going about my day saying, you know what, here's me in my 5k thinking my life's fucking shit like because I'm not allowed to go out DJing I'm not allowed to do this I'm not allowed to do that I'm like I'm going back to my apartment after this to watch Netflix and drink cans so it's not so bad um, so yeah that's another thing I, I learned which is uh, I, don't, that I don't think that people hi Sean hi. I don't think that people that uh, I mean, you, you spoke about this to me the other day um, you know people that have judgments over people mental health issues homelessness it's not a uh, um, racism stuff like this it's not always a place of badness it's just when people lack information people aren't exposed to these people in these circumstances and we all like uh, uh, stereotype is like is something that is it's useful normal. yeah it's, and it's useful yeah it's yeah. useful for us mm. you know so it's not like so it's not to beat yourself over the back with a rod because of it but it's just when you're at, when you have more information you can make more informed judgments and i think that's kind of what we can do with a podcast like this. And other podcasts, I should mention, Tortoise Shack, you know, because they've been yeah. very good to us as well. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Ron. No bother, James. So that's Ron on the deck, so we'll wrap her up there, <laughs> Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, and congratulations, and well done, and many more years mm-hmm. of success and growing, and uh, do not Google yourselves or read the mm-hmm. comments, because... We won't. Um, do, you know, do you know what, though? Um, Timmy's eating the lemon cake I've actually done it <laughs> I've actually done it do you know why so I could feel what I'm feeling during it and sit and re- and just accept it and justify and surrender into the feeling and it works well it doesn't work for me are you t- <laughs> you go on to Twitter and then start the big debate I don't know so so yes yeah, so sometimes um Sometimes I, I get messages from people saying that they've appreciated some of the podcasts that I've done and they've, and they've helped and, and that's that's lovely. And, I you know, I get a lot of emails and I ring people and speak yeah. to them on the phone and I signpost them to different services because sometimes it's helpful to talk to somebody to figure out what would, you know, there's certain services will work for some people and they won't work for other people. So it's not good to signpost everybody in the same direction because everybody's different. Mm. And then the odd time... I will get somebody who says that they don't like, you know, that I curse too much or they don't like this or whatever it is, you know. And 
And I'd be the very person who'd be saying to a young person who curses a lot, and I'd say, don't allow other people to make you feel like crap. And then somebody will say to me and say, well, what kind of a lecturer curses like that? Or, mm. you know, that kind of thing. And then, like, I'll spend, I'll spend too long, mm. too long thinking about it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I don't enjoy sitting with it, Timmy. <laughs> I don't well, right. enjoy sitting with it. <laughs> but you know, you know, you know, when you become aware that you know that stuff is going to come up in your consciousness and you know that you're going to be feeling shitty because this is going to be coming up. I get annoyed away. that I, I've given yeah. a total stranger power over yeah. my feeling. Uh, yeah. That's very annoying because they don't deserve my time. Mm. I don't know them. I don't owe them anything. Mm. Um I mean, if somebody wanted to give feedback and said, look, when you said this, it made me feel upset or something, that's reasonable. But, you know, calling me uh, uh, an ugly C-U-N-T, that's not useful. That's Mm. not constructive. There's Mm. nothing I can do with that. Mm. Uh, It's not, I'm not going to be able to change my physical Mm. appearance or my gender or the job I have or where Mm. I come from or who I am. Uh, That's not useful. Um, You know, but but, um, I think it's, most people are happy to see other people succeed. And then sometimes there are people who are not. But I have to remind myself that sometimes very hurt people need to hurt others. Mm. Um, and even when they're targeting you or they're sending those crappy comments, um, it's probably because they're hurt. Because, I mean, I can scroll through things, you know, a podcast or a book or a movie or or. Uh, a song and I say it's not for me I don't feel the need to send an email mm. or a, a message to somebody who has written a book or written a song and say hey dude your song is shitty mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking when you wrote yeah. that I don't feel the need to do that yeah. if somebody feels the need to send you a message to say that you're shit or you're crap or you're stupid that's coming from a different and not a useful, helpful place. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we can't do anything with that. I'd, if you nothing. Want, if you nothing. want to give us a bit of advice on how we can improve the podcast or if you want us to touch on topics. like I think there's a great, you brought up a great topic yeah. here. The effects of social media and stuff like that and, yeah. and people, how it's really taking over. Every, it, well, the last year has been very difficult because people yeah. haven't been able to go out and yeah, they haven't been able to do things that people are spending yeah. too much time on the phone. I've been guilty of that. I have two fucking wrecks my head, to be honest. I wish I'd no social media, mm-hmm. but it's just it's after becoming an integral part of yeah. my life you now because of the podcast and everything. You know, it's like, you know, we were thinking about hiring a social media manager, mm-hmm. maybe give somebody part time, you know, um, to, I'd love somebody to just take it on me, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes you might need that buffer to say here's the stuff that you should read because it's nice about you yeah. and then the other stuff we're going to yeah. ignore that's um, we're going to wrap it up because we've been yeah. here for the night yeah but uh thanks again we'll bring you back for our second birthday oh yay. yeah yeah and um we well really done. We, and thank we have, you we, we we have a lovely cupcake um for sharon and there's the kettle is on so yeah. we got cakes made for the, the first birthday as well. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. And I'm after eating that about eight of them all in there. like a big giant lemon. But look, lad, we let you all go and we see you later. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Thank ev- thanks, Sean, Timmy, and everybody. Ciao. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.